God's grace, peace, and mercy be with you on this uh, fourth Sunday in Lent through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Finally, after what seemed like an eternity standing in line, my friend and I got to get on board. We sat down in the first car of California's newest, most revolutionary roller coaster, the Revolution at Magic Mountain. It was revolutionary because it was the first roller coaster in the United States to do a complete 360-degree loop. Ho-hum by today's standards, right? I mean, every roller coaster in America now does a loop, maybe even several. But in 1977, the revolution was a big deal. It was my first time on any roller coaster, and that Well, you know, that first drop you never forget, right? That feeling of weightlessness, the G-forces, there's nothing like it, right? It's amazing. You remember? And I'll bet you never considered, however, Paul's letter to the Christians in Ephesus, a roller coaster ride. It is, though. In the first three verses of our epistle reading today that I read to you a little while ago, Paul drops us in a terrifying plunge, a hair-raising freefall, as he speaks on the depths of the condition of all humanity. See, we are bound by our sinful desires, our own sinful desires, and the devil seeks to influence us into unbelief. Then, just as we realize we were surely dead in our sins, in verses 4 through 6, we bottom out and he pulls us out of the plunge and we see God's mercy and grace as he provides a way for us to live through Jesus Christ. That's the big moment, right? The center of the ride, the, 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 the part where you've just come down and you're about to go back up. The moment that all those G-forces are about to pull us up from the depths, from, the, from death to life. And finally, climbing out of the center of the ride in verse, verses 7 through 10, we thank and praise God for His astonishing love and compassion on us. And through Him and His grace, through that we can live a life now for others. You never knew the scriptures could be such a a thrilling a ride as a roller coaster, did you? Well, there you go. Paul achieves this roller coaster ride by using a literary device called a chiasm. What is that? Well, (laughs) a chiasm is where the first part of what you're saying to somebody mirrors the last part of what you're going to say, but the most important part the part you really want your hearers to be amazed at, or you, the part you really want them to, uh, to stick with them, is in the center of what you're saying. We probably do this all the time, uh, and we don't even know it, right? But when you're composing something for someone to read and really putting some thought, at, thought into it, you might intentionally use this little trick um, uh, on purpose, Okay. What's Paul saying to us then 
in the chiasm, in the center of this ride. Oh, by the way, this picture here is not completely correct. <laughs> when Paul was writing, he didn't have a book, right? So he was, books didn't come around till the, you know, the, the, the medieval Europe. Uh, well, a little bit earlier than that, okay? He would have been writing on scrolls, on parchments, but you know, these... These uh, 18th century, 19th century European painters, they didn't care. You know, they, they, they didn't care about accuracy. They wanted the, 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 the looker, the, the person who looked at the painting, to be able to connect with contemporary times. But back to what Paul is saying. Remember, as we were taking the plunge downward at full speed, we were dead in sin, and we walked like it. You remember your first roller coaster ride, right? But did you, did you remember the first time you saw a dead person? Hopefully it was at a funeral service in church. Because any other time would be quite out of the ordinary and could be traumatic. Nevertheless, what did you see? The body lay still, no sign of breathing. Maybe the skin was off color, almost like a mannequin in a store like a corpse in the coffin you and I can do nothing to gain our own salvation we can't make ourselves breathe we can't save ourselves from sin and death to be dead means to be unable to help yourself the deadness of our own sin means we are powerless to do anything about it without God and his word we wouldn't even see our lost condition. We'd be happily ignorant and have no fear, love, or trust in God. Luther says in the formula of Concord, a person is like a pillar of salt, like Lot's wife, indeed like a log or a stone. He's like a lifeless statue which uses neither eyes nor mouth, neither neither sense nor heart. All teaching and preaching is lost on him unless he is enlightened, converted, and regenerated by the Holy Spirit. But you and I also walked as dead men and women, dead in sin, following the world and subjected to the influences of the devil. We were carrying out the desires of the body and mind. No matter if you were baptized two weeks old or 80 years old. Now, sure, the 80-year-old might have racked up a few more sins than the baptized baby at that point, but even for the infant, he or she is culpable for every sin they will commit during life, not to mention the sin we all have in our bodies, which causes it to decay, regardless of your goodness or not as a person. Notice, though, Paul says, we walked as dead men. He means both Jew and Gentile. They're equally helpless to do anything on their own about sin. As for Paul himself, remember, there was a time in his life when he was Saul. He believed he deserved God's approval of his zealous persecution of these new Christians. He, he tried zealously to be more deserving than anyone. He proved to himself and the world, however, that 
any religion with its an attempt to get right with God is not the answer. It's not how it works. The opposite is true. God saves people by His loving grace, alone. Paul found this out later. He was converted, you and, and as you and I were in our baptism. Because of God's grace, and we hear that a lot in church, right? Grace, grace. Well, you know, what does it mean? It's God's attitude towards us and what He's done for us. He's made us alive in Christ. Is that a good attitude? Yeah, you bet it is. God has a good attitude towards us. A bad one towards sin, good one towards us, but he's done something about the sin. The center of the ride comes here in the, <clears throat> in the however, in verse 4, the but. <laughs> it's the great change section in Scripture. God tells us the condition of mankind is not hopeless, but that there is hope. See, God has sent His Son, Jesus, to save His lost children who were once dead men and dead women in sin. He didn't do this because we were worthy of being saved. He did it because He believes we are worth dying for. There is a difference. See, the difference there isn't anything worthy we do within ourselves, but what He has done to make us worthy. God sent His Son into the world to suffer and die in your place while you were yet a sinner, while you were still dead in your transgressions, lost and condemned. We receive this through Christ and through Him alone. God has changed our moral condition from enemy from enemy of God to beloved child of God whom he lavishly pours out his blessings upon us. It doesn't always feel that way. It doesn't always seem that way because there can be severe setbacks and traumas in this life which makes you wonder, well, where is God? Or why would he do this to me? Or why would he die for me? I'm the worst. Well, the answer is yes, you probably are the worst. So am I. Chief of sinners though I be. Our sin has a way of not wanting us to believe Jesus' death is sufficient to pay for our sin or even warranted for us. It's a terrible lie. It's a trap the devil has set before us. But don't step into it. And if you have already, remember, Jesus has already removed the jaws of death from around your head. The change in our nature has already occurred through the washing and regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit in your baptism. We have a new desire not to sin, even though we continue to struggle with it. But we have a new will and new thoughts centered on Jesus Christ. Our desire toward God now is to repent, to confess our sins, and by faith receive it on a daily basis. We now recognize God as the Father of all mercy, Jesus as our Savior and Redeemer, 
and the Holy Spirit as the helper and comforter of our souls. We are now alive by grace, and we walk in it together. Good deeds for the benefit of others follow this faith. God blesses and prepares our good works to be done in His name. He prepares them even ahead of time. So, as Paul says, we simply walk in them, walking in the grace by which we've been saved. Does all this seem ho-hum? Heard it all before? I know. It seems we grow accustomed to God's love and grace as much as we are accustomed to our sin. Perhaps we can go as a church to Oaks Park and ride the Adrenaline Peak roller coaster to experience what you and I are already experiencing in our life in Christ. Or next time you go to Disney theme park, you can do that. Let the ride remind you of the plunge of sin that Paul writes about to the, in the Ephesians. The life and salvation you have in Christ, which is the most important part and as you go upwards in sanctification, you know you've been changed to serve others. I heartily recommend Six Flags Magic Mountain for that. <laughs> they got the best rides. 45 years, the revolution is still a favorite. But as a believer in the cross of Christ, you are saved by grace, which comes from God by faith in Jesus alone. That's the center of it all. Amen.